tonight standing for prayer this morning. Brother Kaler, would you pray for us, please? Man, you may be seated unless you celebrate a birthday and anniversary. We'd like to recognize you at this time. All right, anniversary right here. How many years, Brother Tom? 14. All right, praise the Lord. Let's sing happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. also the Peterson's anniversary and they're split up but they're still together so it's a good thing but uh, if you see them uh, wish them happy anniversary today is their anniversary so a uh, few things from the bulletin today is uh, final day on the Gilson Christmas uh, boxes outside you can put cash in at Walmart gift cards checks if you make those checks make them payable to uh, Dan Gilson and uh, those are not tax deductible, but we do want to be a blessing to them at this holiday season. And so if you can help, that'd be great. Uh, Patch the Pirate program today at 1 o'clock. I am so looking forward to it. I know that you think maybe our church has gone liberal and, you know, we're, I don't know what you would think we were having. But uh, it's all for the play this afternoon at 1, so I encourage you to be here. Just love, uh, just love Christmas programs, and so I encourage you to be here. I was, Visiting with someone, and they said that their church uh, had like their adult Christmas cantata like last Sunday morning, then the afternoon they had their kids' Christmas uh, play. And I'm like, well, that's a bummer when you could spread that out and have several weeks of good Christmas enjoyment. But anyhow, uh, that's that's why we spread it out so we can enjoy uh, each one. And I know that uh, the play will be worth coming back for. Ladies' Christmas party is going to be held at my house uh, tomorrow night. I've already got directions not to be there. And uh, so, ladies, you come. You have a great time. Uh, the house has been professionally cleaned and all that good stuff. So you can come. Just have a great time. Bring lots of goodies and feel free to leave some for me if you want. But anyhow, uh, <clears throat> I know you'll enjoy it. Feel free to bring your daughters. I know that they always have a great time. And uh, just enjoy that fellowship. Uh, next Sunday, hard to believe next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Man, it's just come so quick. And um, we're looking forward to regular morning services. And then in the afternoon, uh, we will have a Christmas Eve uh, candlelight service. So start at 1 o'clock. Uh, we have special music, story time with the kids, candlelight service. And uh, so it'd be great if you could make plans, uh, plan to be with us uh, next Sunday afternoon. We'll have a great time together. And then uh, the next Sunday will be New Year's Eve, and it'll be a regular Sunday wrapping up the year. And so plan on those things. It's good to be in the Lord's house today and have each one of you with us. Going to have uh, Brother Foster come lead us in another song. Then we'll get to our Sunday school time. God bless you for being here. We'll sing hymn number 159, Blessed Be the Name. We'll sing the first and the last verses.
your Sunday school classes. My class, we're in Esther chapter number seven today, lesson number six. We have a new handout if you need one. Lesson number six. They'll be coming in here just shortly. <laughs> Esther chapter number seven. Brother Potts is getting held up back there. Let's go ahead and read our text and we can get our handouts here in just a moment. Uh, I want to start out by reminding us of our need to have full confidence, faith in God and what He's doing. Isaiah 26.3 reminds us of that truth. It says, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on Thee, because He trusteth in Thee. And we're just reminded over and over through the Word of God that we need to certainly trust Him, uh, knowing that He's got this, and He certainly is in control, and He knows what he is doing, and we can have full confidence and faith in him to do what only he knows best to do. Esther chapter 7, as we left off last week in chapter 6, we know that the second banquet is getting ready to take place, so let's continue our reading here in Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen, and the king said again unto Esther the second day at the banquet of wine. What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed, even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. For we are sold, and I and my people to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Then King Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman was afraid before the king and queen. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine and his wrath, went into the palace garden, and Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold, also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. Now, what a... Great story here, and you know, we all like a good underdog story, <laughs> and we certainly have one here, but this is the greatest because God is involved, and God is behind it, and God is working on behalf of His people, 
and he's promised to protect them and to preserve them, and, and he's not going to back down from his promise. God's always going to be faithful to do what he said he will do, and he's doing it once again here for the Jews as he's protecting them from this evil decree that has been made. So let's get into this and, and dissect it a little bit and what is going on here in chapter number 7 as it carries over then into chapter number 8. But we see that, uh, and we can correlate with this and, and we can relate to it in that we know that life is full of interesting twists. And we, things come up day by day that we don't expect, uh, we certainly don't plan for. Uh, but we have to understand then from God's Word how we are to handle those and how we are to deal with those situations. And certainly in a, a situation here has arisen among the Jewish people uh, in this kingdom of King Ahasuerus uh, where they are determined then by this decree that they will die and that they will perish. And uh, so as this decree has been made, they are faced with this, this turn of events in their life and in just moments, they are in depths of despair because of this decree. And sometimes a single phone call or a text message changes everything. And I'm sure many of us can attest to that, if not all of us can attest to that. Just a single moment can change a day, a month, a year, a lifetime. Just a single act or a single phone call or a single text message can make that change. So in today's study, we see Haman go from the height of human glory to the depth a public execution. Uh, many people throughout history have quickly risen to great power only to dramatically fall just as quickly as they arose. Napoleon Bonaparte on the night of his departure on his Russian campaign legend states that Napoleon boasted of his plan so arrogantly that a woman overhearing him said, Sir, man proposes but God disposes. Hearing this warning Napoleon snarked, No madam, I propose and disposed too. A few months later, he had lost over 80% of his army and had to retreat in disgrace. Did everyone get a handout that needed one? I saw him going around. All right, everyone's got him. All right, then Richard Nixon, many of you are probably familiar with him, uh, began as a popular president uh, and his peace treaty with Red China, Red China and for beginning his withdrawal of Vietnam. But his presidency ended with the uh, with the great controversy of the Watergate scandal. And then we see in the Bible itself, we have many stories of, of this nature. And we see Judas Iscariot. He was trusted by the other disciples and responsible for the money of the group. And in one night, in one night, he went from a position of such trust that every disciple in the upper room assumed he would not be the one who portrayed the Lord to hanging himself after Jesus was arrested due to his betrayal. So we see here in this story that in our lesson last week that Haman, uh, humiliated by being forced to parade Mordecai around the city in the king's apparel and upon the king's horse, and uh, the man that he hated was then honored, and he was the one to escort him around the city. And after the pomp of the day, Haman returned to his home to grieve. And when he told his wife the situation and what was happening, his wife gave him a, a warning. And we saw that in Esther chapter 6, we won't reread it there, but she warned him that, of this fact that God is on the side of the Jews, that God has always uh, got their, their best interest in mind and that He will protect them. And he was warning, or she warned Haman of this very fact and that he needed to be cautious about how he proceeded uh, to deal with the Jews. 
So in the midst of this discussion, the king's chamberlains came to escort Haman to the second dinner the queen had prepared for him and the king. And it's here that we see the direction of this story turned. Things had looked pretty bleak for Mordecai, Esther, and the Jews, and now we are about to see God's plan. We're about to see His purpose, which He has been setting up behind the scenes all along. It's about to unfold to preserve His people and destroy their enemies. So first of all, we want to see the request of Esther. The request of Esther. In verse number one of our text, we see the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. So remember that neither the king nor Haman know at this point that Esther is a Jew. She's kept that a secret thus far. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, they're coming to this banquet and not understanding what her petition is going to be. Uh, so she presents it to them. And she had one purpose in this exclusive banquet, and that was this, to make her petition known in front of Haman. She clearly had great wisdom in the way that she made her request. Now we understand the background of that, and she prefaced all of this with much prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord and His wisdom uh, and understanding what uh, His desire would be for her and what she, how she should approach the situation. Uh, so she goes to the Lord here in prayer and asks of His direction and His leading. All right, we're caught up here. The request of Esther. Okay, the king's prompting. The king's prompting. So as they enter the banquet, the first thing out of the king's mouth is asking. He's got to be curious. Now she's set up this second banquet, and she still hasn't revealed what the, what the request is. So it's... It's on his mind, and he wants to know what this request is. So the king prompts the situation, and he brings about this question in verse number 2. And the king said again unto Esther, On the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. This is an example, an expression of his love, and that he's willing to grant the request even up to the half of the kingdom uh, on behalf of Queen Esther. So here at this second banquet, the king was probably anticipating that Esther had something specific she wanted to ask him, uh, something that she was getting ready to request. And though Ahasuerus had been rash in the past, he was now gracious and generous as he spoke to Esther. And once again, he offered to give her whatever she wanted, up to the half of the kingdom. Essentially, he told her, ask whatever you would like. The sky's the limit. I love you. And I want to do what I can for you, my queen. So at this prompting of, queen, or of the king to queen, Ahas, or queen Esther, I'll get it right here, Mordecai uh, told Esther previously as she approached the king um, and as she was in this position, he reminded her of this truth, and we must remember this as well, that she, God was preparing her for such a time as this. Now, God has placed us here at this time, at this moment, for such a time as this, that we have an opportunity to serve Him and to be a light and a testimony where you are and in the influence that you have, God has placed you in this moment of time that you might perform His will. And Esther here is placed in this moment for such a time as this. She had the ability to stand before the king and make this petition. And this was now the time to take that step of faith. So you see, our, our life of Christianity, God is preparing us, and God is 
is teaching us and He's instilling into us wisdom from His truth and guiding us through His principles and He's uh, helping us along that He would be able to use us for that time when someone might come across our path that we'd be able to witness to them or maybe He takes us through uh, valleys of life and difficult situations that we might be able to minister uh, to those that might be going through the same type of situation. God knows what He's doing, and He's preparing us to be a help and a testimony and, and an influence to an ungodly world around us. So be willing to take that step of faith as Queen Esther was willing to do so, understanding that God is working. So the king prompted uh, Queen Esther to bring her petition. So, we see now that she does ultimately bring this petition to the king. So, with an audience of just Haman and the king, Esther humbly made her request in verse number 3. Notice here the wording that she used uh, and the manner in which she spoke. She says this in verse 3, Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king. So, Esther approached the king in a submissive uh, spirit and, and with a submissive approach and she did not arrogantly make demands but rather she understood her position and uh, she understood the king's power and she humbled herself before him and came before him in an humble spirit and it's evident in these two statements that we just read if I have found favor in thy sight O king and if it please the king so as we spoke earlier in a previous lesson that uh, she understood that she needed to offer deference to the king, and here she's doing so again. She's deferring to him, and uh, she's offering respect to him, to the king's desires to do whatever he wanted with her request. So Esther had a humility that stemmed from her trust in the Lord, and she believed that God was in this and would have his will. So as Esther exemplified this humility, because of her trust in the Lord, we too must exercise humility in a difficult situation and not let, us, let it disrupt our inner peace because of where our trust lies. If our trust lies in the Lord, then we can go through difficulties and we can trust Him and we can know that He is working and we can know that He can take a difficult situation and perform His will and bring about His glory. So we can have a quiet calmness. That is the fruit of the heart, trusting in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 it tells us of this truth. Trust in the Lord. And how does it say to trust in the Lord? With all thine heart. With all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. And boy, it's, we get in trouble when we begin to lean on our own wisdom and our own understanding of situations. Boy, we can't see everything. God sees it all. God knows what is best. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So as Esther is giving deference and she is humbly approaching the king in a submissive spirit, we must too approach our Heavenly Father in the same way. Giving him deference. Submitting ourselves to him. And lowly bowing before him in humility and asking the Lord and acknowledging him in all our situations of life asking Him to direct our paths. Though Esther was meek in her request, she was not weak. The Lord not only gave her the grace to calmly make her request, but He also gave her the boldness to declare what needed to be said. 
In the latter part of verse 3, it says, Let my life be given me at my petition, and my people at my request. So what is she doing here? With the words, I and my people, she's revealing her nationality. She's revealing that she was not Persian. And it was a moment of great vulnerability to which the king could have responded in anger that she had hidden this truth from him. Yet even in her position of weakness, God gave her strength and courage. So we're reminded from Esther that our Heavenly Father is sensitive to our weaknesses and that His strength is made perfect in it. God recognizes where we fall short and where we are limited in what we can do. And then He steps in and does what only He can do in a situation such as this. So Paul experienced God's strength in his weakness. The promise Christ made to Paul can be ours as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul is stating this, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul recognized the need of the Lord in his life, and the need for the Lord's strength and His power, and, the, and all that he would endeavor to do for the Lord. And we certainly must understand that we need the Lord's uh, strength and His power in all that we do. And we need to turn to Him and acknowledge Him in everything that we attempt to do in this life, that He would direct our paths and that He would give us the strength and the power to do things in the way in which the Bible uh, declares for us to do it, in, in truth and in honor and all those things that would be glorifying to the Lord, that we would walk worthy of Him. So we see the king's prompting. He's asking, Esther, what is thy petition? Esther then humbly comes before the king and, and a submissive spirit to him and gives the petition. And she reveals then that she is a Jew. She goes on then in this petition and then restates what the Jewish plight is because of the decree that has been made. So with the words, for we are sold, Esther is reminding the king that he had been paid to issue this decree to annihilate the Jews. And verse 4 says, for we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. So Esther's words here, they echo the actual words that Haman used from the decree. And she did this in Haman's presence. So there was no denying what she was talking about and who she was talking about. In Esther chapter 3 and verse 9, this is the wording that he used. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasuries. So Esther is pointing out that the king uh, would be receiving blood money in this decree if it would be carried out to her people, the Jews. So she continues to, with emphasis on the weighty nature of this life or death situation. Verse 4 continues on, says, But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. So notice her words here again. She's being very wise in, in the way that the words have been chosen. And she uses these words, the king's damage. Uh, for the king to mistreat the Jews would be his downfall. Now there's much history up to this point in how God's protected the nation of Israel. 
and how he's protected the Jews. So there's no denying this. The king would jeopardize his own people and his kingdom by going against the people of God. So history is replete of, with examples of nations and dictators brought to nothing because they went against Israel. And we see it even in modern day. And we've seen it in our lifetime. And in the Six-Day War in 1967 uh, brought a great victory for Israel against her enemies. In May of 1967, Egypt and Jordan signed a defense pact with each other against Israel. Israel responded to this alliance by attacking Egypt's air force on the land. This attack destroyed most of the Egyptian air force's aircraft. This victory ultimately gave the Israelis control of Jerusalem. So we see over and over again, all throughout history, from the moment of God's promise to them, His promise of protection, that He has done so. And He will continue to do so. And we certainly need to be on the side of Israel. And we need to pray for them and that God would continue to bless them and continue to use them as He's promised to do so uh, from the Word of God. So besides her courage, what is remarkable in Esther's plea is her diplomacy and sensitivity and the way that she's declared it. Without directly pointing a finger at the king and saying, you accepted blood money and you did it for my death and for my people and your, and your kingdom will be damaged for it. She didn't come to it in that point of view. But she conveyed as much in the, in the way that she said it, but she did it in a, in a way that it could be heard by the king and would not uh, uh, cause him to rise up against it. So she portrayed this in the, in the right way. She conveyed the situation and the manner in which she needed to for the king to hear it. But she did it from a standpoint of being on his side and showing the vulnerability of her life on the line. So just as Mordecai had the safety of the king in mind when he uh, reported of those that plotted against him to kill him, here again she is uh, bringing or playing to that side where if you go through with this, then God's wrath is going to be upon you and your kingdom will be destroyed. Uh, so she's come about this in the right manner. And she has pled for her life and the lives of her people. She essentially said, if we were only being sold into slavery, I wouldn't have troubled you with this matter. So Esther's words here had a tremendous effect on her husband. He was outraged that someone would want to hurt his queen, and he wanted to know who would do such a thing. So secondly, we see the revelation of Haman. So the request, the petition has been made, Queen Esther, now something has to be done. So Esther revealed that the man behind this wicked scheme was none other than this wicked Haman. So Haman is identified in verses 5 and 6. To the common observer, it may seem incredible that the king did not know who this person Esther was talking about or who she described, who he was. But Esther knew that she needed to separate the act from the doer of the act for the king to understand the atrocity of this decree. In explaining what this wicked person wanted to do, the king became ready to punish Haman, ready to punish whoever this person was, and quickly it's revealed that it's Haman. She used her words carefully and concisely. The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. She didn't mix any words here. She identified exactly who it was. And imagine what was going through the king's mind at this moment as He's elevated Haman to a very lofty position, second under the king here, 
and he's, got, he's received great power in the kingdom. So first he found out his wife <laughs> is a Jew, and she's of the people that have been decreed to be killed. And finally, she shared that Haman was behind the evil deed. Now, we may know what it feels like to be betrayed by someone. And certainly the king's feeling this. He's been betrayed by Haman. And in this situation, he's put him in a very difficult position. No wonder God gave Esther the wisdom to not tell the king her request at the first banquet. It would have been before the king was reminded that a Jew, Mordecai, was the one that saved his life. Remember that on that night he could not sleep and he was troubled and he was reminded of Mordecai and he was also reminded that he had done nothing to recognize this bravery on his behalf. So he's reminded of this and, and God's perfect timing brings about all these thoughts to the, to the king and the king is, is now focused on Mordecai and the fact that he is a Jew and the Jew stepped up uh, to save him. How can he destroy a group of people looking out for his best interest? So Esther is doing the same thing here. And she's reminding the king that if he destroys the Jews, then God's wrath will be upon him. So she's got his best interest in mind here. So thankfully, the God of the Jews was working everything in their best interest and had his ultimate glory. And we have his promise that he is doing the very same thing for us in every one of our lives, that he is seeking to work in such a way that He would be glorified through us. We simply need to submit our lives to Him and allow Him to guide us and direct us and to show us the steps that we should take. Romans 8.28 tells us this, And we know that all things work together for good to them, here's the caveat, that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Well, who are those who are called according to His purpose? Well, any child of God, any, any person who has called upon Jesus Christ as their Savior, is a part of this decree, a part of this truth, a part of this promise, knowing this, that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. I'm thankful that God is working on behalf of us and that He desires to perform His will to His glory and to His honor. And we see it played out here in the life of Esther and on behalf of the Jews. Haman's identified... Next, Haman is indicted. After seeing the courage of Mordecai and the graciousness of Esther, the king was then infuriated that anyone would want to hurt this group of people. Haman was now on the receiving end of his wrath. Enraged, the king had to step out of the banquet to collect himself. Maybe he'd learn a few things about his, his anger in the past and how he had reacted in such uh, situations so he stepped out in verse 7, And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. So the king realized that he had allowed himself to be manipulated by Haman to exterminate the whole race of people, the Jews. The king was no longer blinded to Haman's wicked nature. It was revealed. It was before him. Now he had to make a decision. What is to be done? Haman, now left in the room with Esther, began to beg Esther for his life. In verses 7 and 8, And Haman stood up to make request for his life to the, Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. 
somehow in the process, it's interesting here, how in the world does he end up on Esther's bed and, and her reclining uh, position there? Now you can imagine the scene. <laughs> Haman's on the bed of Queen Esther and the king's already infuriated with him and now this just escalates even further. Whether Haman had tripped or had fallen prostrate, we don't know. But he's in front of Esther, and his location didn't look good when the king returned. Verse 8, then said the king, will he force the queen also before me in the house? How bad is this guy? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. The king saw Haman lying on Esther's bed and wondered if Haman was violating his wife. This, of course, would be a capital crime, and at this point... The quagmire Haman had made himself was sinking lower and lower, as if it could get any worse. <laughs> he was not going to escape the consequences for his actions. So now Haman is punished. Conveniently, one of the chamberlains informed the king that the gallows, 50 cubits high, were already available. Haman had already made it for Mordecai's ex execution. Verses 9 and 10, and Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So in a twist of irony, the gallows that were prepared for who Haman hated, Mordecai, were then used to kill Haman himself. The sentencing for Haman was planned by God before Haman even had the gallows made. God knew all along what he would do, and God had a plan. So God in His sovereignty made the wrongs right. He made the wrongs right. We can trust Him to do the same for us. I'll pause there and let that sink in. Is there something in your life that is troubling you that you are not allowing God to work? Or you're, you're not trusting that God will work? God is working. And God will make right the wrongs. Might not be in the timing that we want, but know this, that God will make right the wrongs. He will do so. So we can trust Him to do that very same thing for us. This trust frees us from being eaten up by bitterness or taking vengeance into our own hands. We're fretting over situations. We can trust the Lord. Romans 12, 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We have a great and awesome God who seeks to work on our behalf. And it's foolish of us to place our trust in things of this world when we have an all-knowing, all-powerful God who loves us and wants to do the very best for us. Now, understanding this, that the very best for us does involve taking us through difficult times in our life, that He might grow us and show us His truth and reveal to us His purpose and His plan, or better equip us for the days ahead. 
But having that trust and confidence in the Lord and knowing that He is working all things for good to them that love Him, then we can go and endure those trials and we can have full confidence and faith in Him knowing that He's got this, that He's in control and He has our best interests in mind. So I'll leave you with this verse that we opened with once again, found in Isaiah. And maybe it'll be a help to you as it was a help to me. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. How many of us are seeking peace? You don't have to raise your hand, but I would venture to say all of us enjoy peace. We enjoy peace. And God says, thou will keep him in perfect peace. How will he do so? What is the requisite here? Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So where's your mind today? Think of the difficulties that you're facing, what you're going through today. And the worries that, and the frets that you have, where's your mind? I venture to say if you're struggling and you're with worry and doubt, fretting over situations, maybe your mind is not stayed on the Lord as it should be. And the promise here is if we do keep our minds focused on the Lord, that we will have that perfect peace. Now, I've mentioned it many times in the previous lessons, but imagine and put yourself in the shoes of Queen Esther here, facing life or death situation, willing to step out by faith and trust the Lord in this difficult endeavor to stand before the king, declaring who she was, declaring the decree that had been made against her and her people, knowing that the king could go one of two ways here in this situation. He could have fully followed through with the decree that had been made, and it would have cost her her life. He could have been upset that she had hidden this truth, that she was a Jew from him, and carried out wrath upon her. But she knew that she was prepared for such a time as this, and she trusted that the Lord would work on her behalf. And as we've seen in stories in the past, as in Daniel, as in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had determined it didn't matter the outcome. Whether the Lord would preserve our life or take our life, it doesn't matter. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to do what He says. And might it be the same determination that we have? It doesn't matter what this world would do. It doesn't matter the, the course that they'll take. That going against the Word of God and the truths that we find therein, I'm going to walk with the Lord. And I'm going to follow Him. And I'm going to do the things that He's commanded me to do. I'm going to do all I can, the very best that I can, to honor and please Him. And to step out in faith when He asked me to. To do those things that He's called me to do. There's many things that we can learn from the book of Esther. But I, I hope that these, these truths that we're finding here just renews uh, a confidence and a trust in the Lord. And give us a, uh, just the strength in the days ahead to follow Him no matter what the cost. We don't know what lies ahead. But we know that difficult times may be coming. And maybe we're in a difficult time now. But we can draw strength and comfort from these, these truths that we find, these portions of Scripture that we read, knowing that we can have full faith and confidence in the Lord, knowing that He's got this. And we can follow Him wholeheartedly and place all of our trust in Him and know that He's got our best in mind. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for this story of Esther and the way that You've worked in such a miraculous way to preserve your people, the Jews, all throughout history. Here's one more story just declaring that truth. 
Father, we're thankful for how you were working all along and how it just renews in us a, a confidence and a faith in you. And Father, I'm thankful that you love us and I'm thankful that you seek to work through our lives. And I pray that we would be submissive to all that you have for us. And I pray that we would walk in obedience to your truth. Father, that we would seek to know you and have our minds stayed on thee throughout all the situations of life that we might experience that perfect peace that only you can provide. Father, I pray that you would just help us and guide us through these lessons to uh, learn those things that we need to learn, to be renewed in those things that we already know. Father, I just pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us in the Lord. Pray now for the service to follow. Speak again to our hearts. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll meet right back in here at 1030. <laughs>